0: Good morning, dear saints, and blessed Epiphany. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. Today is Friday, February 9th, and you're listening to the program where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Today's chapter is Deuteronomy chapter 4, and it serves as a powerful call from God through Moses for the people to be obedient and for the Israelites to remember all of God's commands and all that he did for them as they stand on the threshold of the promised land. Moses implores the people to heed God's laws and decrees faithfully, and he reminds them of the unique relationship they share with God, who spoke to them face-to-face at Mount Sinai, and the catastrophic consequences of idolatry, drawing a course from their own history to underscore the dangers of forgetting God's works. Whether it's over the air, online at KFUO.org or using that KFUO app, maybe you listen as a podcast, maybe, maybe you use it on a smart speaker, you listen to us there, it doesn't matter to me how you're joining us this morning, I'm just so grateful that you're here, you're the reason we're here. Settle in, open your hearts and your minds, we're about to begin. Thy Strong Word is graciously supported in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, LHF translates, publishes, and distributes books that are Bible-based, Christ-centered, and Reformation-driven. So visit them online to learn more about all the great work they do for the kingdom. lhfmissions.org is that address. And if you have any questions or comments about today's show, you can call in 800-730-2727. Or maybe you can just email me, PastorBoo at gmail.com, or you can find me on Facebook. Those are three ways that you can get your question or your comment out on the air. Now, getting right into it, joining us this morning, it's the Reverend Jeremy Swim. He's the pastor of Our Savior Lutheran Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Good morning, Pastor Swim. Am I pronouncing your name right?
1: Thank you very much. It's good to be here with you
0: today. Thanks. Now, I have a name that's tough to pronounce, so I just want to make sure that Swim is the way that you pronounce yours.
1: That's correct. Yeah. Oh, excellent. Uh, Sometimes people say schwem and zvem. Well, that's what I was wondering too.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Okay, good. Well, um, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't believe I've had you on the show with me before. So one of the things I like to do whenever I run into a new guest, at least for me, is uh, have them share a little bit about themselves. How's God working through you and the saints at our Savior in Grand Rapids? Tell us as little or as much as you'd like.
1: Well, I have been the pastor, senior pastor here now at Our Savior Lutheran Church for almost five years, but I was associate pastor and also principal at the school for four years before that. So right now, you might hear a little bit of background noise here. It sounds like a lot of kids going through the hallways because our preschool is being dismissed right now. And some of our grade school students are also going home because we have faculty development going on after their uh, half day of school. So it's a real joy to see the commitment of our congregation here at our Savior Church to support the school and the good work that's being done as these teachers work with parents to raise up children in the way that they should go my wife also is here in the school she teaches third and fourth grade and i've got three boys in the school uh levi who's in eighth grade adam who's in fifth grade and then samuel who's in first, first grade this year and it's a blessing to work with these lutheran teachers as well as our headmaster miss julia habrecht and then a final person that uh, is truly a joy here to To work with is our associate pastor david fleming who is also the executive director for spiritual care with doxology
0: excellent well wonderful well thanks for taking the time to be on the show today and to dive into deuteronomy chapter four uh before we begin would you just start our time off in prayer and then we'll get going sure
1: lord god heavenly father Your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We give you thanks that today we can study your word. Let us hear it, read it, mark it, learn it, and inwardly digest it. And through this word, strengthen us that we may love you and serve our neighbor faithfully. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.
0: Amen. Well, here we are in chapter four. And I don't know, how do you want to begin? Do you want to lay some groundwork or should we just dive right into the text?
1: Well, we are at this transition point in the book of Deuteronomy. Moses up to this point has given the people a bit of a background on their 40 years of wandering through the wilderness, but that's all ending now. They're about to go into the promised land. And this is a new generation in many ways, because those who had who were to have entered the promised land initially did rebel against God after sending in spies to the land, which is covered earlier here in Deuteronomy. Uh, they they found that it was, in fact, uh going to be too dangerous for them, or not in fact, that's what they believed it to be, that it would be too dangerous for them to go in. Uh, At least 10 of the spies thought that was the case. And then, as a result of that, the people were afraid. They didn't listen to Joshua and Caleb, who had confidence that they could enter the land without fear. Uh, And so they... They did not want to go into the land in spite of God telling them. And after that, then God said, fine, you won't go into the land. Instead, off to the wilderness you go. Uh, And then they rebelled against him again. (laughs) And they wanted to Mm -hmm. enter into the the land instead. So that uh, brings us then kind of to the, the point where Moses details the rest of their wandering in the wilderness. And uh, finally arriving back here after they've defeated several kings, including the King Og of Sion. So there, there's uh, where we're, we've been. And now we're moving on then to giving of the law to the people, as well as identifying how life shall be in the land that they are going to be receiving, that they're going to be inheriting.
0: All right, so, well, let's, let's that, read then chapter 4, verse 1 through 8. And, folks, I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Here we go. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them that you may live and go in to take possession of the land that Yahweh, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of Yahweh your God that I command you. Your eyes have seen what Yahweh did at Baal Peor, for Yahweh your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor. But you held fast to Yahweh your God and are alive today. See, I have taught you statutes and rules, as Yahweh my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, Surely this great nation is wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as Yahweh our God is to us, whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous is all this law I set before you today? All right, that's the end of verse 8. We'll stop there. So yeah, he, Moses is saying listen as you go into this new land, you new generation, just <laughs> do what God commands. It's good for you. I guess that's one way to sum it up. <laughs> Take us through it. What's going on on the ground?
1: Well, right away we we begin with this emphasis on on listening, right? But now, oh, Israel, listen or hear. And already we're being taken back to mount sinai where the the fathers of these people spoke to moses exodus chapter 24 all that the lord has spoken we shall do or be obedient or listen to and then follow through on and so in, in this way we have this this connection back to what the forefathers of these people were committing to. Uh, But we also then have a connection to Deuteronomy chapter 6, which I'm sure you'll be covering in a couple of episodes here, where Moses says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This matter of listening, of hearing, is of huge importance to the Christian. Uh, You think of Romans chapter 10 where it's faith comes by hearing. But then faith is busy and active doing exactly what God has given us to do and how do we know what to do other than hearing. This past week, Pastor Boo, I I was just talking with my seventh and eighth grade students precisely about this and what the will of God happens to be. Of course, the will of God is that all men would be saved, all of humanity would be saved. But then also he, he lays out for us very clearly what, what we should do, what our sanctified life should be like in accordance with the Ten Commandments. So it's both God's will that we would be saved and within this life, live uh, a life of faithful service to our neighbor. So uh, Moses is then, then beginning with this, this matter of, of listening and doing. And in addition to this, there's a there's great blessing that's attached to keeping the commandments, along with a, a curse that is given for those who would break them. Uh, the blessing that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you, Ah, It's all gift. Could talk a bit about stewardship there, too, I suppose. But then for those who violate the command, that's to uh, then become a god in and of yourself, to commit spiritual adultery, to abandon God, to raise yourself up in God's place like Adam and Eve did in the garden. And this is then the the struggle for all of humanity, right? Um, uh, For Christians specifically, we're talking about then how we we hear and the new man desires to do, and yet the old man, the flesh, uh, desires to rebel against God. (laughs) So uh, how then do we do these things? Simply by the, the gift of faith that God has given to us that we would both hear His word and desire to keep it and then not not just keep it in our hearts but live it within our lives so uh, after that in verse 2 you hear about this word that shall not be added to or taken away from now that's that's rather interesting uh, because it it's not just applying to these people then It certainly is applying to later hearers as well. So we're not to add to or delete from the word of God. That is not to say that, that God ceases to speak after Moses. He clearly continues to speak through other prophets and As a result, then, we can see many books of the Old Testament and New Testament, the inspired Word of God. These are not man's additions to the Word handed over to Moses, but instead God's continued revelation for the blessing of his people. This command given in Deuteronomy is certainly then heard again as we read the final book of the New Testament Revelation chapter 22, there John records, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book and anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophet, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. So to change the word, is in fact idolatrous for your placing yourself over the text as if you are God, determining what should be added or deleted. So there, there's a
0: beginning to uh, a, a bit of this segment. Uh, Pastor well, one of the thing, Yeah, one of the things that stand out to me is <clears throat> this idea of wisdom and understanding, though, which is tied up within the keeping of the law. And the reason why I think it stands out to me particularly is because on Wednesdays with my people, I'm going through um, Proverbs. And Proverbs talks about wisdom being with God at creation, really interwoven in the very creation itself and understanding, too. We have passages like uh, Proverbs 111 that talks about – oh, let's see here. I'm sorry, Psalm – well, proverbs talks about it one seven here we go the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom fools despise wisdom and instruction and nine the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom again psalm 110 111 the fear of yahweh is the beginning of wisdom all those who practice it have good understanding so there's this connection between them being the people of god and what that looks like is people who keep his word but one thing that stands out too is this sort of connection between, and we've talked about it already and we will again, but this connection between if you keep the, my statutes, my rules, you, you mentioned Deuteronomy 6. That's where you know, he's going to be instructing the people to raise their children up in these statutes and rules. If you do them, things will go well for you and and i we've been wrestling with exactly what that means, you know it's not like God's just gonna well you've you've kept the Sabbath a lot, so I'm just gonna throw you some blessings your way, but rather, this is how His people will live because He knows what's best for us, wouldn't you say
1: Well, things always go. Better for you when you choose to keep the fifth commandment, right? You shall not murder. Um, <laughs> you can get in a lot of trouble, not just by, let's say, um, looking at this at a surface level and saying, "Well, I, I haven't gotten a little stabby with somebody today. That's good." Um, but, but when we when we think about this matter of of uh, murder being the equivalent of of anger. Uh, As Jesus notes in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, things go better in your marriage, uh, in your relationships with your co-workers, uh, in your relationship with your children, when you're not boiling over with anger over things that have happened. So there's there's that practical point, um, which we see in our daily lives. We also see how when the people of Israel are faithful as opposed to idolatrous, that their lives are, in fact, better. You you see that cycle within the book of, of Judges, right, where the people are idolatrous and God then, then uh, though he allows them to continue to live in the land, he does send in foreign nations as a form of... Uh, Of discipline so that they would repent. Uh, Finally, at the heart of this, I I think spiritually as well as Christologically, uh, we have the one, Christ Jesus, who keeps the law for our sake, and who is also true wisdom, to whom all of the scriptures are pointing. And this is the great, the great blessing in all of this that Christ is our wisdom. Uh, we were just studying Proverbs as well, Pastor Boo. Uh, I think it was about four months ago. But it's a delight to hear you you bring that, that uh, section up, uh, Proverbs chapter one again, and to hear the, the words which point us to the true wisdom, uh, which is not something that's gained in the world, but instead
0: revealed by God himself. The only thing I think that people struggle with, or one of the things, I shouldn't say the only thing, but the one thing I think people struggle with as they see, well, if I keep the law, things will go better, which I agree with you wholeheartedly. Not one thing did you say that I disagree uh, disagree with, but but then we have that pesky persecution where when we strive to keep God's law, the world will then see us as they see God, and that is as an enemy. And we think of Jesus uh, you know, his his teachings to his disciples that say, Hey, look, look, you know, if the world hates you, it's because it hated me first. You're going to have trouble in the world. You're you're at enmity with the world. And so I think people say, Well, you know, it just feels like things go easier if I just live the way everybody else is living. I, if I follow God's will, you know, being honest, treating people with respect, you would think that that would re- result in. And at least the same you know, in return, but it doesn't seem to always. And I, I guess how do, we, how do we comfort people with that enmity that we find with the world even – and maybe I should say especially when we live according to God's will or strive to?
1: Right. Well, I, I think we can begin by looking within our own flesh and seeing that the enmity starts with us because the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. So if if we begin by looking at ourselves and knowing that this battle is going on already here, this spiritual battle, uh, then as we look to the world, we're not surprised because the sinful nature of everyone else is also uh, aligned against God's word And therefore, when we live in accordance with it or speak it, there will be conflict, there will be enmity, there will be strife, there will be persecution. Following God's law, living within it, uh, as well as living within the, the gospel, the fullness of the word of God, does not mean that you will be free from struggle, free from persecution, because Satan hates God's word. Satan hates our salvation. And so, while some things will go better, certainly, when we keep the commandments, uh, like life is better, when we are faithful to our marriage vow, life is better when we aren't stealing, we don't come in, into conflict then with many of the state's laws and rules. And yet, we we do recognize that Satan is aligned against us in, in this, and we will face persecution. Uh, And as you pointed out, Christ himself did. And so we we cannot be surprised when these things happen. So then what what do we do other than not being surprised? Um, First, uh, we recognize that what we're facing is is a spiritual battle, which is uh, organized against us by Satan, and yet this battle is won for us by christ so what can the world do to me take they my life goods fame child wife oh christ has won it he has the victory and he's given it to me so that's where we take our 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 most important point of comfort second in the midst of these battles, we recognize where the goodness of God is to be found, and where our strength is then to be found. And so we we run to the Holy Scriptures, and we hear the comfort of God's love, and thus we receive the strengthening of the Holy Spirit. And then uh, third, we continue to strive to live faithfully, uh, in spite of what the world does to us, in spite of what our flesh says, because the response of the flesh is, Why live this way anyway, if all it's going to get me is persecution <laughs> uh, which i I don't think that's an accurate paraphrase of what you were getting at, but it might be a a good uh point from the the flesh, thats the, the flesh says, just give it up. And Satan would love that, right? He'd just say, oh, fantastic. Another one who is giving up on this matter of the Christian faith because they're, they're moving into despair. There's no hope. Um, then, oh, what we need the most of all is the hope which is being proclaimed through Christ's resurrection and the life which is
0: yet to come for us. Well I'll tell you what, so why do add some uh, more uh, well, I was going to say, let's uh, add some more verses to our conversation. No, I, I like that response especially because, you know, that's what we have to look to. We look to to Christ, and you're absolutely right. You know, it's Satan and our own sinful flesh, of course, and the world who's eager for us to, you know, wallow in despair. And I think that's why Jesus warns us about that. Taking us back to Moses real quick, verse nine, he says, only take care and keep your soul diligently lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children, how on the day that you stood before Yahweh your God at Horeb, Yahweh said to me, Gather the people to me, that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children so. And you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, While the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven, wrapped in darkness and cloud and gloom. Then Yahweh spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of the words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. And he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform, that is, the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. And Yahweh commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and rules that you might do them in the land that you are going over to possess. That's the end of fourteen. Um, <clears throat> take us through this, right? What, 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 how, how can we apply what's going on here on the ground to ourselves today?
1: Well, uh, I think it's it's important to note that Moses has addressed. Here now, a second act of uh, potential idolatry, along with God's faithfulness. The first one, which uh, we didn't talk about too, at, at all, uh, just because I think we I was waxing on this matter of persecution and, and comfort. Uh, the first one was uh, the Moabites. And when they were, the Moabites tempted the Israelites to worship Baal of Peor and so uh, there they were enticed not only with spiritual adultery but with actual adultery and and committed it and then we move from there on to hearing about not not the this particular generation but the previous generation how they were at mount sinai And you can't help but have in the the background of this as well, especially as we move on to this matter of idolatry being forbidden, their act of making a golden calf. So with those two things uh, kind of in mind, we have a strong teaching against that. So what are you supposed to hand on to your children? And then for those children to hand on to their children, God's holy presence breaking forth into the world and His Word, then coming to them, giving His covenant, making them his people, and in response to that, then the ten Commandments which they are to guard and keep this section here is is quite uh, quite catechetical or teaches so much about what we're supposed to be doing in the world, but especially in our households. We're teaching our children in the way that they should go. We're teaching them about who God happens to be. We're teaching them about their identity as the children of our Heavenly Father, as people of His possession, as the sheep of His hand. So uh, that then is uh, kind of a beginning in this section. There's quite a bit more here just based on this listening and then teaching or handing things over, which I'm sure we could talk about, but uh, what are some of your observations or, or what did this make you think of? Pastor. well we'll have to
0: well we'll have to uh, touch on that when we get back because we're right up against a break so folks don't go anywhere when we come back i'll answer pastor swim's question and more see you on the other side Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me today is the Reverend Jeremy Swim, pastor of Our Savior Lutheran Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. We've bitten off quite a bit to chew this morning with Chapter 4, which is pretty long, so I'm going to get right back to the text, and I'm going to answer the question that the guest posed. He asked me what stood out to me. And to me, in the whole section that we've covered, brother, is we see that the like the whole purpose of the law is to give the Israelites, as we talked about, this full life, this this, uh, this is how you should live. And then the second pers- purpose of the law, which I think is something we forget, is that it makes Israel spiritually unique, morally unique among all the nations, and thereby through their righteousness and relying upon their, their Lord, that other nations will be drawn to God. But then what really stood out in sort of the second section that we covered Is that there's this fear by Moses or by Yahweh who's inspiring Moses that the parents of these children are just going to be apathetic. They're not going to pass down this stuff. I mean he's already talking to a new generation, which which is a little bit removed from the incidents that he's talking about. So so they've continued to be rebellious. So there's this fear that when you go into the land – Don't forget to raise up your children in these things. And we're going to see that, as you already mentioned, in Deuteronomy 6. So this experience at Horeb, which, you know, you have all the the thunder and the lightning and the fire and the smoke or, or, you know, the the whole experience of hearing God is to remind them that their God is unlike every other so-called God on earth. He's real. He's powerful. You should have a fear of the Lord. You should respect the covenant. But more importantly, you should be provoked to pass this down to your children. And that apathy or laziness or fear of, of not knowing what to do that's caused the parents to not teach their children, I see that happening today. So that, I guess that's what I see is I see God being, which should be unsurprising to us, but very prescient in knowing the struggles that they're going to face as they go into this new land, struggles that we still face today. I absolutely
1: agree with you. I can see that, and uh, quite a few different places. And I'm certainly thankful then for the work of our our school, because there, there our teachers are always setting the the word of the Lord before the the children. Um, it and it's a matter of keeping the soul. Did I found that really just fascinating in verse nine? Only take care and keep your. Your soul, I guess you could Mm -hmm. maybe translate that as life, perhaps, but the emphasis, keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen and they depart from your heart all the days of your life, and make them known to your children because you're keeping their souls too. The Holy Spirit's working through this word, nourishing faith, forming the conscience, uh, and then strengthening us to serve our neighbors.
0: Oh. Beautiful stuff here. It really is. Now, as I said, when we came back, I said, oh, my goodness, as we're talking, I I have to admit, I didn't realize we had 50 chapters to go, 50 verses to go through. So, <laughs> yeah, I know. Gonna, I would have split it up if i had thought about that in advance. But, oh, well, here we are. So I'm going to move right into 15. So uh, if we have to treat it lightly, folks, apologies. But we want to try to get through it. So verse 15, and I'll read through, oh, I'd say about 31. Here we go. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully, since you saw no form on the day that Yahweh spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire. Beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water under the earth. And beware lest you raise your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars and all the host of heaven, you will be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them, things that Yahweh your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. But Yahweh has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of his own inheritance as you are this day. Furthermore, Yahweh was angry with me because of you, and he swore that I should not cross the Jordan and that I should not enter the good land that Yahweh your God is giving you for an inheritance. For I must die in this land. I must not go over the Jordan, but you shall go over and take possession of that good land. Take care lest you forget the covenant of Yahweh your God which he made with you and make a carved image in the form of anything that Yahweh your God has forbidden you. For Yahweh your God is a consuming fire a jealous God. That's actually the end of verse 24. It's a good place to pause. Um, Do you think God doesn't want him to make any sort of carved images? (laughs) He makes it pretty clear here, doesn't he? I I couldn't imagine what inspired this particular lecture from Moses and from Yahweh.
1: The making of carved images again and again and (laughs) again. And even going to the point of worshiping the very creation the sun the moon and the stars which you do see in israel's history right uh, you you go maybe a, a thousand years after this uh to the the proximate time of the babylonian exile where the the people dwelling in jerusalem they've been taken off to babylon and uh, ezekiel who's off in captivity in Babylon has that that vision in chapter 8 where the the people who remain in Jerusalem are worshiping carved images in the temple and they're also bowing down with with their backs to the temple toward they're bowing down towards the sun and so, how prophetic this is going to happen because we we don't remember the the Israelites don't remember who their God is, and the the flesh gets the better of them.
0: So there are ways yes. that I think that we. I mean, we, obviously, we also think of the golden calf incident, but you know, even today, I, I know that there are church traditions who. I, I guess out of fear of this, in the same way that maybe Jews refuse to mention the name of God out of fear of misusing the name, which is a little misleading, I, I think some some Christians are misled to say, well, every cross, every crucifix, every icon, every painting of Jesus, anything is all verboten or forbidden because of this or the first commandment. So I, I, I don't know. I mean, how do we... How do we sin in this way today? Because I know we do. <laughs> but but it's not always as obvious as, as like a prayer card or something like that, which typically isn't really breaking this commandment. But we certainly, I guess, <laughs> practice idolatry today. I mean, the world does anyway.
1: We do. And that's because we put on to God the form and likeness of our corrupted heart as opposed to. We who have been created in his image and likeness, certainly which has been corrupted since the fall. Uh, but we fail to be formed by him. This language of form in, in Deuteronomy is just fascinating to me. Um, I, I began thinking about this... Uh, first in the hebrew and then in the greek the homoia and and trying to figure out um well is this talking about us not being able to make then uh, a a picture of of Jesus or have a a cross or crucifix hanging in our home or in in our church here in grand rapids we have this massive uh polyptych it's a 3 sided artwork or artwork that ends up on being on three sides of the nave of the church have we done something that's idolatrous and this is this is a good question and it's come up in church history uh, not just in in our time but certainly in luther's time and then dating back to the early church so can you can you make uh, a picture of Jesus healing uh, the Blind man, or Jesus raised from the dead, and have it not be idolatrous, not breaking the first commandment? The, the answer that the church has given throughout the centuries is yes. And we can even see where God in the Old Testament has people make images of creatures. Some, the heavens, like the cherubim, which are on the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, one, which is a creature of the earth, a serpent, which is placed on a bronze pole, uh, as is recorded in, in the book of Numbers. Now, the important part here is that Christ himself has taken on the the uh, morphe or form of our flesh and that doesn't just mean it looks like our flesh but the son of god who is of the same substance of the father takes on mankind's flesh without corruption and he goes forth to suffer for our sake serving us he's bone of our bone flesh of our flesh the image of the invisible god now the the god who had no form on mount sinai as Moses notes here takes on a form takes on our flesh which is part of the argument of the early church then as it begins to to make pictures and images of of Jesus not that we would worship them but instead we now have the 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 vision of what God Himself looks like, because He Himself has revealed Himself to us in that way.
0: Oh, I love that! I'm just sort of basking in your comments there. I think that's amazing. Let's uh, let's add some more verses to the to the text here. So, <clears throat> verse twenty-five: When you when you father children and children's children and have grown old in the land if you act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything and by doing what is evil in the sight of Yahweh your God so as to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will soon utterly perish from the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. You will not live long in it but will be utterly destroyed and Yahweh will scatter you among the peoples and you will be left few in number among the nations where Yahweh will drive you. And there you will serve gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But from there you will seek Yahweh your God and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to Yahweh your God and obey his voice. For Yahweh your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with the fathers that he swore to them. Now this little passage right here is amazing because it, it tells us a couple of things. One, that this is a promised land to you, but if you turn away from me, then you're just going to be scattered. It's not God's fault, it's your fault. But if you seek him, he'll still be there for you that is amazing i i agree
1: with you absolutely yeah that that god would still gather you up after all of this unfaithfulness but that is his nature not only as god but as the the groom of israel right he is the ever faithful groom even though this uh bride is rather unfaithful in her promises to Yahweh himself.
0: Let's add just a few more verses to our text. Now, we're only going to be going through 43 today. We'll pick up with 44 and the following on Monday since those sort of connect together. But let's look at 32. For ask now of the days that are past, which were before you since the day that God created man on the earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other, whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was ever heard of. Did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and still live? Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, all of which Yahweh your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? To you it was shown that you might know that Yahweh is God. There is no other besides him. Out of heaven he let you hear his voice, that he might discipline you. And on earth he let you see his great fire, and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them, and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence by his great power, driving out before you nations greater and mightier than you, to bring you in, to give you their land for an inheritance, as it is this day, Know therefore today and lay it to your heart that Yahweh is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. Therefore, you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land that Yahweh your God is giving you for all time. Okay, that's the end of 40. Now, first of all Moses could give Paul a run for his money on his uh his run on sentence there. But we have this uh this beautiful idea that you're supposed to pass this stuff down. Um a couple of things stand out to me and one is and it's answered right in the text so this isn't like, you know, whatever, but God often talks about other gods as if they were real. But obviously in a way to demonstrate how they're not. But it's, but it's kind of interesting. You know, he he says, has any other God ever attempted to do the things that I have done? And of course, he gets to the point, well, they haven't because <laughs> they're nothing. But I always find that kind of fascinating, the way he talks about them. Yeah.
1: And, you know, Paul picks up on this in First Corinthians and notes that the the idols that the, the Greeks might be worshiping in Corinth, that there's there's nothing to them, and yet there is a spiritual force behind them, while uh Zeus may not be a real god in the sense that that there's some type of presence there, yet there is something behind that that's Satan, not that Satan is a god, he's a fallen angel, but there is a certain spiritual reality behind that. And so I I hear what you're saying. It it in this way, I, it seems like Moses is is making fun of the other nations. You they don't have any gods. They, none of them can act in the way that the the one true God does. And he is a god of deliverance. And this is this is beautiful, right? That God's reminding them of who he is. He is the one who is merciful, who doesn't leave destroy or forsake or forget he heard their the prayers of their their grandfathers their fathers in Egypt and answered them by sending Moses and now he is the one who's bringing them into the promised land but first he had to deliver the people of Israel by his outstretched arm by these mighty acts and that that makes me think of so so much of the way that the commandments themselves begin in Exodus chapter 20. God doesn't start off by saying, uh, you shall have no other gods. Instead, he, he Yahweh says, I am, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Now, here in Deuteronomy, he's, he's enumerating things. These are the things that I had to do in order to bring you, my people, out of slavery in Egypt sending signs and wonders, and delivering them through the Red Sea with his mighty outstretched arm. So, uh, great stuff there.
0: And I also love how we see elsewhere in Scripture other nations do believe in Yahweh. Now they don't necessarily give up their own false gods, but how often do we see them Saying, yeah, we know that the God of the Israelites is real because of these great things that we know that he's done. Again, they don't give up their own gods necessarily, but we see at work what God says here, right? Through his works, through their righteousness, the other nations will be drawn to him. And I always thought that was kind of fascinating too. But you're right to bring up Paul. You know, we know that the idol is nothing, but – Still being nothing doesn't mean that it doesn't have control over people because of our sinfulness, because of the accuser, as you pointed out, because of demonic activity. Um, one of the things that I often will bring up when we're discussing Islam, when I have the chance to discuss it, is, you know, Muhammad goes into this cave and says that he encountered an angel. He thinks it's Gabriel who told him to write down the Quran. Well, there's a lot of historical stuff here that you could wrestle over, but I've always proposed it's possible that he did experience exactly what he said he experienced. But of course, even if an angel from heaven should tell us another gospel, let him be anathema. I, I believe that if that happened, which is doubtful, but if it did, it's it's demonic. So the fact that, that that Satan appears as other gods is not something that should surprise us.
1: Yes, that is true. You even see how the apparently the spirit of samuel which i i don't believe is samuel uh comes to saul at the the this soothsayer or witch of endor right so it, there's certainly demonic activity which may look very much like god's work but it's not so thank you for that that point it's valuable for us to keep in mind well, let's finish up our One text thing- for today. Oh, oh I'll go ahead. Yeah, Hota, go please, ahead. go ahead. We yeah. only have a few verses oh. left,
0: so go ahead with your point.
1: Well, I just wanted to note that this this is a great catechetical technique here. Uh, Moses is inviting the hearers to think through these things in a series of questions and and to answer them, right? Is there any other God like this? No. <laughs> is Is there anyone who else who could lead you by signs and wonders, by a mighty hand and outstretched arm? No. So who Who will you listen to? who will you worship so that that was the other thing I noted, and I think that's valuable for parents to to look at something like that and and use that as a technique to teach their children so you're you're taking whatever text you may be going through and then asking a question based on that text, maybe even quoting directly from it and that helps kids to really begin to consider these things and and to have them implanted on their hearts and minds
0: oh yeah i like that i mean just it's like look to your experience you know there there's a one true god who is effective and then there are false gods who you know lead you astray well we see the 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 mercy of god in this next little section it's only a couple verses then moses set apart three cities in the east beyond the jordan That the manslayer might flee there, anyone who kills his neighbor unintentionally without being at enmity with him in time past. He may flee to one of these cities and save his life. Bezer or Bezer in the wilderness, on the tableland for the Reubenites, Ramoth in Gilead for the Gadites, and Mulan in Bashan for the Manassites. That's where we're going to end our text for today. But these cities of refuge, which, by the way, this seems like a weird place for this just to pop up. But these cities of refuge are certainly uh, demonstrative of God's mercy, even in the face of his commandments, which strictly say thou shalt not murder.
1: That's a very good point, because the the person who is involved in some type of accident which results in the death of your – maybe it's your friend or – a neighbor or something like that, um, they rightly could be killed by somebody of that other family. But now God says you you have these specific places where you can go, where you can flee to and be safe for a time. Of course, it does restrict you. You can't go outside of the city lest someone find you and they, they uh, have an act of retribution or something like that um but w- why do you think this is here as opposed to let's say towards the end of deuteronomy uh, it does seem like a rather odd place to identify the cities of refuge though the other cities of refuge they're they're not given yet because they haven't gone into the land we, they've just have these these uh two tribes and one half tribe that are in their relative locations where they'll be after the conquest of the promised land
0: yeah i i don't know i mean i think it's interesting i think it maybe is just practical you know this is where they are in this time and this is where he tells them about this but but i think it's also significant because he's just laid on their hearts this concept which is important that god requires you on your side of the covenant to keep his law perfectly and, and it's like a little reminder that Yeah, but you're not going to be able to do that.
1: Mm -hmm. Yep. And maybe that goes back to then this matter of having prolonged days in the land. If you don't follow the commands of the Lord, then you won't have prolonged days in this land. Uh, But if there's some type of accident that results in the, the death of somebody else, then... There's there's still some type of hope for you living in the land, uh, more importantly, though, being pointed towards the land that we that is to come, not not this earthly land, but that which we are inheritors of in heaven.
0: Yeah, I, I you know, and it probably just an editorial note, even, I mean, it could be um, from Moses as he's putting these things down, because, you know, we're, we're going back and forth between. The people he's speaking to in the present time and the people he's speaking to in the future Um, because it even it's not even quoted, of course, according in the ESV, because it just says then Moses set apart. So it's like, oh, and by the way, um, you know, we don't even get the sense that necessarily Moses is dictating this in the way that we we have been experiencing so far. You know, it's his quote, but almost from a narrator point of view. But unfortunately, brother, we're at the end of our time, so we'll let our folks wrestle with that. Hey, if you think you know um, or you have an idea about it, send me an email, PastorBoo at gmail.com or find me on Facebook. But for now, I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend Jeremy Swim. He's the pastor of Our Savior Lutheran Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Pastor, thanks for being on the show.
1: And thank you, Pastor Boo, as well as uh, the staff at KFUO. It's been a true
0: joy and pleasure talking about the scriptures with you today can't wait to have you back on folks monday i'm joined by the reverend kevin yokum and he's going to lead us into well the little section that we didn't get to today which is okay it's the introduction to the law and then the fifth chapter which is a is kind of a redux an encore of the ten commandments whereas moses directly links israel's future prosperity and divine favor to their adherence to these timeless laws but what does that mean Moses' passionate plea will serve as a powerful testament to the enduring importance of the commands that God's giving. He positions them as a cornerstone of Israel's identity and the key to unlocking a future under God. We'll unpack that and a lot more tomorrow. But until then, make our Monday. But until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray. Father, keep us in Thy strong word.